Today, our desire is to give you tools to set you free. Today is our desire to talk about how we live differently, and next week too, we live differently so we are not trapped in bondage like the world around us. We would have a mindset shift, a decision made, and in doing that, we open ourselves up to God doing things you can't imagine. And uh, today I have one of my very, very good friends who's going to come and speak and preach today. Uh, Barry Cameron is the author of the book, The ABCs of Financial Freedom. Uh, this book, by the way, has sold 250,000 copies. Uh, after the service today, anybody here who commits to read it, as long as you promise to read it, we'll give you a copy for free. Our church has purchased them, and we'll just hand you one as long as you commit to read it because we think it is that meaningful to own. But let me tell you something. Well, all right, praise God. Let me tell you something else, though. When God led Barry to write the book, he and his wife agreed together they would not take one penny from it. All of the money, all of the proceeds of this book has gone to support people in need. There are, um, yeah, isn't that cool? There are women who were left as widows with no financial stability that now have lives because of this. There were lots of other people, because you're going to hear Barry talk today. When you start living a generous life, God blesses that. And so he's been doing that in lots of different ways, and this is one. But I want you to have a copy of the book. Uh, Barry is the senior pastor of Crossroads Church in the Dallas area. They're a sister church of ours. And we want them to be a sister church of ours because you know why? They are debt-free. They have 146 acres of land and no debt. We want to be their friends. So, uh, uh, and then Barry is, is one of my best friends. He's a guy who knows what real friendship means. Barry is somebody, and I know this, if I picked up the phone at any hour and had a need, he'd be there for me. He does that for me. He does that for our other friends. He does that out of a love for God. He loves God with all his heart. He loves his wife like he should and his kids like he should, and he's paved a lifestyle for them, and I just love and respect this man. By the way, Crossroads, we're leaning on him heavily as he's challenging us and showing us a way so we could be debt-free as a church in eight years. And uh, so, so I want to tell you, I think he's going to bring a message for you and a message for us and a message that everybody ought to hear. I really, really want you to tune into this. But because I think he'll bless you, I want to ask you, Crossroads as a family, would you welcome and bless Barry Cameron right now as he comes? Well, it's great to be here, and it's always a great uh, thing to get to be with Chuck and Pam. They are very dear friends of uh, uh, Janice and myself, and I could, all the things he says about me, I'd say about him. I, I went through a situation last year, which was kind of a tough deal, and the number one encourager who kept my feet on the ground and kept me where I needed to be was your pastor, Chuck, and he's that kind of guy. And, but, but the only thing is, he didn't tell me when he asked me to come that he was going to have a mob figure speak the week before. <laughs> he somehow left that out of our discussions, you know, and I'm thinking, how in the world do you follow a mob figure? I mean, I've never killed anybody. You know, I don't even own a gun. Now, now I did, I, I, I've watched The Godfather six times, so maybe that counts. But uh, it's so great to be here, and I can't believe this is the final service. Uh, we've had a great time uh, last night, early service. And now here, and it's just such a joy to be here. 
And uh, I love your pastor, and you've got a great staff here, great worship, great facility, great campus. You are just getting ready for God to do some amazing things. And uh, I will help any way I can to uh, help you guys get to the place where our church is. We, we do have a 146-acre uh, campus, facilities valued at $35 million. It's all paid for. Uh, we have $10 million in the bank right now earning interest, and we're adding to that. We're, we're adding to that because we want to build a new 75,000 square foot children's building. And uh, yeah, we could go borrow the money and we could certainly afford the payments. But see, the way we look at debt, I look at debt as our way of giving ourselves what God hasn't given us yet. And we could go out and go in debt and build that children's building and do like everybody else does. But we're not going to do that. And so on the day that we break ground, that building will already be paid for. And then we will start, we will start raising funds to uh, build a youth building. We want to build a 75,000 square foot youth building. We'll raise all the money for that, and we won't do it with a bit of debt. We're also in the process of raising a super fund for missions. We have $2.5 million right now on deposit, earning interest, and we add to it every week. We want to get to $10 million uh, in that fund, and we'll never touch the principal. And at 5% interest, we can give a half a million dollars every year till Jesus comes without asking anybody for another dime, just to missions. So, so there are some incredible things you can do uh, when you get out of debt. And uh, so I want to talk about that. And I don't have a lot of time. And I have to catch a plane to uh, get back to uh, Texas tonight with my family. But I have thoroughly enjoyed being here. And it's great to be at Crossroads West. Uh, we're Crossroads Southwest, and if you're ever in the Dallas area, I hope you'll come and uh, worship with us as well. I want to begin with this uh, statement. Do you know what the three most important questions about living are? Think about that for a moment. What are the three most important questions about living? I, I know what they are. Number one is who are you going to live for? That's the most important question you'll ever answer. And, and by the way, do you know if you get that one wrong, you spend eternity in a place called hell? Uh, that's not some mythological fairy tale made up by some theologian years ago. That's a real place. The Bible says it's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's eternal fire that doesn't end. It's endless pain for all eternity. You don't want to go there. So listen, if you miss everything else I have to say, get that one right. I, I got it right. I, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior when I was seven years old. You know, sometimes people say, do those little kids know what they're doing? Yeah, they do. I did. And all I did was confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He did all the work. I mean, he died on the cross for me. He offered salvation for free. All I did was say, I believe that you're the Son of God, and I want you to save me. And I repented of my sins, confessed him as Lord. I have followed him in believer's baptism. So I got that one. Take care. That, that's question number one. Who are you going to live for? Number two. Second most important question is, who are you going to live with? Do you realize if you get that one wrong, your life can be a living hell? <laughs> really? Now, thankfully, I, I, I made the right choice on that, too. My wife, Janice, here's... You know, Jesus did all the work on the salvation deal. Janice did all the work on the marriage deal. See, what she did, she just lowered her standards really low, and she said, okay, I'll marry Barry, you know. <laughs> the third question is this, how are you going to live? 
Are you going to live a debt-based life or a debt-free life? Everyone has to answer that question. And you know what the majority of people, 99.9% of people in our nation live a debt-based life. You know why? That's what everybody else is doing. That's all we know. I mean, if you're going to have a nice car, you've got to get a loan. If you want to have a nice house, you have to get a loan. If you, if you want to go on a nice vacation, you've got to get a loan. So everybody lives that way. But that's not what the Bible teaches. That's the way our family used to live. I mean, we had car loans. We had a house loan. We, we even put our vacations on a credit card. We would charge all that stuff. We'd go to nice places and we'd eat out. Oh, here's our card. We'd go to amusement parks. Oh, here's our card. We'd buy Christmas gifts at Christmas vacation, put it on the card, and then we'd spend the rest of the year paying that off. I remember several years ago, I told my wife, I said, you know, we, we can't keep living like this. And she says, we have no other choice. That's the way most people live. Well, in 1999, I came home from work one day, and I decided, that's it. We're, we're not living like this anymore. I've had it. I mean, we, we don't need to live. We don't have, I mean, we've got nicer cars. We've got a nicer home. We wear nicer clothes. We look successful at everybody else. But the truth of the matter is, we can't afford to keep living like this. This is horrible. So we had a come to Jesus meeting with our family. Do you know what a come to Jesus meeting is? You get everybody together and you're judgment day honest. And I told them, I said, we can't keep living like this. We have two kids in high school that were getting ready to go to college. There's no way we could have added those bills on top of what we were already not managing. And so we had this come to Jesus meeting. In fact, we had a, we had a number of come to Jesus meetings. In fact, we had two or three come to Jesus meetings that Jesus didn't even come to. We just kind of got together and yelled at each other, and yeah. And, but we decided that we were going to get out of that. We weren't going to live that way any longer. Now, now, I'll be honest with you, it wasn't easy. Those were some of the most horrible times of our life. In fact, that's the closest my wife and I ever came to separating. I mean, I'm pastor of a church, but my wife hated me. I mean, I told her, I said, listen, we're, in fact, I share this story in the book, the ABCs of Financial Freedom. Uh, we came up with almost 40 different things that we could stop spending money on so we'd have money to pay our bills and get out of debt. And, and one of them was we weren't going to buy new clothes. And she goes, you cannot not buy clothes for little kids. They're growing. And I said, we're not. We're not. That's it. She said, I hate you. I go, I, 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 go, I, I understand that. No, you don't. I said, no, no, I, no. I know. You, no, you have no idea. I said, well, all I want to say is this. When we get out of debt, the day will come when you love me. Don't count on it. That's almost verbatim. My kids, hey, thanks, Dad. Thanks for ruining my high school years. Thank you very much. I mean, it was horrible until we got out of debt. I took the family to Disney World. I had to bribe them. I said, if you'll help us get out of debt, we get out of debt, I'll take you on vacation anywhere in the world you want to go. They voted, and they voted for Disney World. So while we're getting out of debt, I'm talking to the Disney people, and I'm setting up this whole week-long deal down there, and, and I can't put that on a credit card, so i got to somehow save money for that. I mean, it was, this was horrible. But as we got closer, I thought it was all coming together. And Anyway, we went, we went to Disney World, and I got a limousine. We've never been in a limo in our life. I got a limousine to pick us up. It was really cool. The Disney people were wonderful, and and, and, and so we got there, and we went to the parks one day, and I came back to the room, and on the middle of my bed was a, a sack, looked like liquor in a brown bag. And, and I went, what in the world? And I reached over there, and 
I tried to pick it up, and it was like it all, and I, I thought maybe the maid left some Windex or something, and I picked it up, and I, out, out, I looked inside, and it was a Mickey Mouse trophy, and at the bottom it said, thanks for getting us debt-free. Big old trophy, about that high. Now, we went back, we went back five years later for the fifth anniversary I told them we'd celebrate every five years. The kids said, no, let's do it every year. I said, no, we're not going to do it every year. Went back for the fifth anniversary, and I got another trophy, but this time the trophy was smaller. I go, hey, what's the deal here, you know? We, go back, we just went back for the 10th anniversary about a year ago. Well, an unbelievable. Now my son is married. We have our first grandson. I mean, every year gets better than the year before. But I don't want to paint the picture that it was easy. It doesn't take any discipline or determination to get into debt, but, boy, it takes it to get out but it's worth every sacrifice. And what I want to do this morning, if you and I were able to just sit down and have a Diet Coke or a cup of coffee, and you were to say to me, just give me the bottom line. What's what's the bottom line stuff I need to know to get where you are, where where you can declare your financial freedom? That's what I want to share with you. The seven greatest secrets I know about finances. And I got to go quick. Here's number one. Your understanding of where it all comes from will either keep it coming or cut it all off. Let me say that again. Your understanding of where it all comes from will either keep it coming or cut it all off. See, you and I have to answer the question, who owns our stuff? Now, I know some of you already think you know that. Well, I do. I mean, it's my money, it's my car, it's my house. Wrong answer. And see, if you believe it's your stuff and it all comes, you, you know, you go work or your company provides it, if you believe all that, you cut yourself off. God's up in heaven saying, I can't, I can't bless that. You know, when we were getting out of debt, I, my wife said, well, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to go up to the church, and I'm going to figure out a strategy. And I, I, I pulled down all my books on finances. I had over 30 books on financial freedom and how to get out of debt. I mean, you name it, I had it. And I realized those books hadn't done me a bit of good. I'd read them. I'd underlined stuff. I'd put stars. I'd, you know, I'd done all kinds of stuff, but I didn't apply the principles. So I figured, okay, none of those books helped me. I'm going to go back to this book. So I got my Bible. This is the very Bible I did. And I found a verse early on that literally changed my life. It's in Proverbs 17, 16. You know what it says? It says, of what use is money in the hands of a fool, since he has no desire to get wisdom? Now, you want the King Barry translation of that? God's saying, why in the world would I give you any more money when you're acting like a fool with what I already gave you? I mean, God's up in heaven saying, I can't can't bless you. I want to bless you, but I can't bless you. See, the Bible says in Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It all belongs to him. But when we think it's, it's our doing or somehow our company or our boss or our government or whatever, we cut ourselves off from God blessing us. Your understanding of where it all comes from will either keep it coming or cut it all off. Listen, don't miss the fact that it all belongs to God. You know, I, I carry my money in a wallet. I don't know about you, but... And, and sometimes when I go places, I'll have everybody pull out their wallet or whatever their money's in, and I'll say, hold that up in the air. And everybody does, you know, bold, you know, boldly and proudly. And I go, hand it to the person next to you. And you should see people's faces. <laughs> what? My money? Yeah, hand it to the person next to you. And, and, and then I have them all hold them up. And I said, now, you're holding someone else's money, right? And everyone goes, amen, praise God, yes, I'll have someone else's money. And then I have them hand it back so they have their own. And I go, now hold it up. And I go, you're still holding someone else's money. This is not my money. This is God's money. 
You know, I, if, I were to say, if I were to say, sir, is there money in my wallet here? Do you see money in there? Yes. Okay. If, if we were to have an offering right now, and I said, give whatever you want, for my, would you have any problem giving all that? Of course not. Why? It's someone else's money, right? Exactly. But now what about the money in your wallet? What money? It's, well, it's, all right it's, still, it's still someone else's money. You see what I'm saying? That's, right. That's where we miss it. Don't miss this. Your understanding of where it all comes from will either keep becoming or cut off. If you think it's yours, God can't bless that. Don't miss that. Here's number two. What you pursue will determine what you possess. What you pursue will determine what you possess. All of you here this morning, including myself, we possess right now what we've been pursuing. I'll give you an example. If you've been pursuing cheeseburgers and chocolate cookies and milkshakes and cakes and all that kind of you possess that this morning. You don't have to tell anybody. They already know. If you've been pursuing working out and lifting weights and taking care of yourself, you don't have to wear a sign that says, I like to work out. They already know that too. You possess what you've pursued. So if you're here this morning and you don't like what you possess, change your pursuits. You know, one of the things I like about the Bible, the Bible's not some old book of disconnected stories that make us feel better. The Bible is the manual to life. I mean, I remember several years ago, I co-signed on a loan for some relatives, my parents. They defaulted on the loan. Sheriffs came and knocked on my door and served me with, I was being sued for a quarter of a million dollars. My own parents. That's messed up. And you know what? You know what? I got to read in Proverbs chapter 6. And in Proverbs chapter 6, the very first few verses, it says, if you've, if you've signed on something else, don't even allow sleep to your eyes. Get out of it. And I thought, the, the Bible told me not to do that, and I did that? You don't think I was paying attention then? You know what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, about pursuits? He said, seek first my Father's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be given to you as well. He said, don't be like the pagans who run after all those things. You don't need to do that. My heavenly Father will take care of you if you'll just make him number one. It's that simple. And you know what the average Christian does? In the average church in our world, they go to churches like this. They sing songs like we've sung. They pray prayers. They raise their hands. They say, oh, God, you're number one. You're awesome. And then they go out the doors, and they're in the endless pursuit just like pagans, going after all the stuff, a bigger job, a bigger promotion, a bigger whatever. And they, many times they just forget God all completely, all week long. And they don't understand that God's up in heaven saying, I, 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 can't, I can't bless that. They come to church and say, oh, God, please bless us, bless my business, bless my marriage, bless everything about it. And God's up in heaven going, you're, you're, you're not even doing what I tell you to do. How, how in the world could I bless you? Deuteronomy 8.18 says, remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant. You know what that verse says? God is the one that determines what's in my wallet, what's in my bank account, what's in savings, what's in my 401k. God determines that. So I need to remember it all comes from him. I need to remember he needs to be the pursuit of my life, not money. Him, his kingdom. Here's number three. What you spend will always be more important than what you earn. What you spend will always be more important than what you earn. 
See, if you always spend more than you make, you'll never make enough. And that describes pretty much the majority of people in our world. You know, I remember my first job, I would mow lawns. And I would mow your lawn, edge the walks, trim the trees, uh, weed the flower beds, uh, rake up all the stuff and take it to the dump, all for five bucks. Now, I'm no longer available to do that line of work, but that was my first job. I'd mow lawns. My second job, I was a janitor in an apartment complex. I made a dollar an hour. Man, I was really living now. My third job, I worked at McDonald's for like $3 and some cents an hour. My fourth job, I was a youth pastor, and I barely made a little more than what I did at McDonald's. Then I became a pastor of a church. And you know, I realized one day that even though my salary had increased, I was still spending more than I had. I was no better off than when I was mowing lawns. You know, I know a lot of people that are worse off today in a nicer house, bigger cars, all that stuff, than they were when they first got married and they were in a one-bedroom apartment. And you know what the problem is? We've never learned to spend less than what we make. Listen, everyone in this room can give yourself a raise right now. You can give yourself a raise this week. So, what, okay, I want to hear this. What do I say to my boss? Nothing. Don't even talk to him. Just don't spend all your money this week. You know, you don't go home after church today and open the refrigerator and go, okay, whew, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, okay, seven shelves. Okay, I'll start eating the stuff here on the top shelf, and I'll work to the, I'll eat all this today before I go to bed tonight. No one does that. That's insanity. Just because you have a refrigerator full of food, you don't eat all that food, right? It's insanity to spend all of our money just because we have it too. What you spend will always be more important than what you earn. And if you always spend more than what you earn, you'll never make enough. The next raise won't help you. You say, well, what do I do? Well, the Bible says, there's a great verse in Proverbs 13, 18. It says, he who ignores discipline comes to poverty and shame, but he who heeds correction is honored. So let's see, poverty and shame, honor. Poverty and shame, there's not much of a choice. What makes the difference? Discipline. Discipline yourself to always spend less than what you make. Give yourself a raise. Change your life financially right now by spending less money. Here's number four. Your obedience will determine your abundance. Your obedience determines your abundance. Now, I understand the word obedience is a curse word in our culture today. People don't like to talk about obedience. Obey who? Man, I'm my own boss. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. What are you talking about? You know, in Texas, we have these, these octagon-shaped red signs with the word stop on it, but they don't mean a thing in Texas. People just drive right by. The, the speed limits, you know, those, those, the, it's a rectangular sign. It has like 55 on that. I, people just, they drive whatever they want. That doesn't apply to me. I mean, I'm my own boss. I'm my own authority. What, obey who? And you know what? When you have that kind of attitude, God's up in heaven saying, I, I, can't, I can't bless that. See, when we don't obey God, our disobedience affects our abundance. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. But really, how many people do you know that are living the abundant lives? I do. I'm living it. I'm absolutely telling you that every day is better than the day before. Every week's better than the week before. Every year is better than the year before. People ask me, go, okay, what do you do now with your money? With your, if you don't have all these bills, I mean, what, what, what do you do with your paycheck every week? Whatever we want. The majority of our paycheck every week goes into savings. 
savings. If I told you how little money we had in savings when we got out of debt, and I told you how much we have in savings today, every one of you in this room would say I was a liar. It's impossible. You couldn't have that. Well, if you follow God's principles, God says, you know what? I can bless that. In fact, we went to some mortgage people when we were trying to get out of debt because we, we were desperate. We had to do it in under two years. And we, I had some mortgage people in our church, and they ran the numbers with my salary, and they said, you don't make enough money to pay this house off in two years. But we did. We said, how'd you do it? I believe God up in heaven was watching us, and he saw this pastor in Texas and his little wife and three kids applying his principles, and he said, hey, 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 come on. Let's go down there and help. And he blessed us. There's no other explanation for it at all, except God blessed us because we were obeying his word. And listen, he'll do that for you. He'll do that for your church. It's not God's will that only one church is out of debt in Texas. No, he'd like for all of his churches. Can you imagine if all of our churches were completely out of debt and all of our church people were out of debt and we had a missionary that had a need? We wouldn't be talking about giving them thousands of dollars. We'd be giving them millions of dollars. We wouldn't need the government to be our babysitter and do all the stuff for us. We'd be able to care for our own. We'd be able to reach out to people we never dreamed of. You say, well, why can't we do that? Because we've bought the world's lie. There, there is no life without debt. And yet God says there is. Here's number five. The discipline of saving will be more important than the amount you save. The discipline of saving will be more important than the amount you save. We need to be teaching our kids right now, you need to put something in savings every week. Every week. There were some times when we were getting out of debt. People said, well, well now, wait a minute. I, <clears throat> you know, did you tithe or did you pay off debt? Or did you pay off debt or did you put money in savings? I mean, what did you all do when you, were, when you were getting out of debt? We did all three. We faithfully tithed every week. You know why? Because we want God's blessing on our life and we want God's wisdom, number one. Number two, we would put every dime and dollar we could on our debt. I remember one day I found a $5 bill inside my desk at work. I don't know where it came from. But I took that $5 bill and I drove over to the Chase Bank, which was just about six blocks away from our church. And I walked in there and I said, ma'am, I'd like to apply this $5 on my mortgage. <laughs> Are you serious, Mr. Cameron? $5? I go, yes, ma'am, $5 on my mortgage. Said, Mr. Cameron, that's not going to make hardly any difference at all. I said, ma'am. That's $5 less principal I'll owe you and $5 less you can charge me interest on. Okay. <laughs> we, we applied the same principle to putting money in savings. There were some weeks I could only put a dollar in savings, but I was disciplining myself to do what God's word said, to, to put something in savings because the discipline's more important than the amount. See, if you learn the discipline when you're a kid making a dollar a week, what happens when you're a CEO of a company making $100,000 a year? You've got the discipline. You know what the Bible says? Proverbs 13, 11. Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers it little by little makes it grow. It's biblical. Go without a Starbucks. Go without a newspaper. Go without a magazine. Go without something. Put something in savings. Watch what happens. Here's number six. God will grow whatever you sow. Now, I know some of you about now are going, really, really? Pastor Chuck, you brought this guy in here to tell us this simple stuff. I mean, anybody could do this. You're right, but most people don't. That's why I call them the seven secrets. Because they got to be secrets because most people don't do them. 
And this one may be the most profound, that God will grow whatever we sow. In fact, he doesn't just grow whatever we sow. The Bible says in Luke 6, 38, given it shall be given to you. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. Every first-year farmer knows if you want to harvest something, you have to plant something. And God will grow whatever you sow. But he doesn't just grow it. He multiplies it. Remember in the opening pages of the Bible, when he talked to Adam and Eve, he said to them, he said, be fruitful and multiply. You already know it. Did you know a couple pages later, he told the same thing to the animals? Multiply. Multiplication is built into every fabric of the universe. Now, it's, you've heard it said you can count the number of seeds in an apple, but you can't count the number of apples in a single seed. Some geeky math guys at the University of Colorado several years ago decided to put together an algorithm to figure out how many apple seeds could come from or how many apples could come from a single seed during one man's lifetime? And they, they gave up at 40,000 trees. And so we, we, we can't really figure that out. Someone told me about corn. They said, well, corn is an amazing example of, of, of multiplication. I said, corn? What you, that, that sounds corny to me. <laughs> they said, no, real. You know, on an average ear of corn, there are 800 kernels. Did you know that? 800. I didn't believe that. So shortly after I was told that, we went to Chili's to eat dinner one night, and I ordered a chicken fried steak, mashed potatoes, a Texas toast, and corn on the cob. And we've had the prayer, and everyone's eating, and I'm counting the corn. <laughs> they were right. That was 800 on there. In fact, I thought there was more than that, and someone at the table said, you probably miscounted. I said, no, that's the way God works. He multiplies stuff. I've been told that some stalks of corn produce six ears, which are called six shooters. So now think of that for a moment. Six ears, one seed of corn. Now there's six ears with 800 kernels or 4,800 kernels of corn. If you plant those 4,800 kernels of corn in one planting season, by harvest time, do you know how many seeds that'll produce? Between 23 and 24 million. It's the principle of multiplication. I mean, that's what's happened here at Crossroads. The reason why this church, I mean, you all are like rabbits. You know? And, but that's what God does when his hand is on a family or a church or a business or your finances. He multiplies it. He will multiply whatever you sow. Now, now here's the bad news. If you've been sowing the wrong seeds, if you've been making the wrong decisions, while you're sitting in church doing what's right, that principle of multiplication is working against you. You go, oh, stop the service. Stop, stop. Well, I can't stop that. But you can stop it by starting to sow the right stuff. God will grow whatever you sow. He'll multiply it. Are you sowing the right seeds? See, if you're not sowing the right seeds, God's up in heaven saying, I, I can't bless that. Here's the last one, number seven. Sustained generosity will be the guarantee for your sustained financial success. Sustained generosity will be the guarantee for your sustained financial success. We've got to learn to be generous people, not selfish. Now, now I want to be very clear. Tithing is not generosity. Tithing is obedience. The Bible says in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 to 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. A tithe is 10%. Whatever we receive. You know, Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, Solomon said, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your increase. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. But you know how the average Christian reads that verse? Well, you know, when my barns are full and when my vats brim over, then I'm going to really do something great for God. It doesn't work that way. God says, I can't bless that. You're not honoring me. 
The first fruits, that's the, whenever you get paid, the first fruits, the first 10%, that goes to God. Our family does online giving. And so our tithe and our offering is electronically sent by our bank to our church. Now, here's the way it works. Every Monday morning, they take money. I mean, we've just barely said amen on Sunday from worship. And the very first check that goes from our bank before anybody else goes to Crossroads Christian Church in Grand Prairie. We love that because it's just a way of saying to God, God, you're first. You're first. And it's the first word. See, tithing is how you get under the spout wall of God's blessings come out. Now listen, if you're not tithing, you're, you're, you're over here. And, and God's saying, I, I, I can't bless that. But if you're tithing, you're, you're, you're under his spout and he can, he can open the floodgates of heaven, he says, and pour out so much blessing you don't have room enough for it. But that's not Generosity. That's obedience. That's systematic giving. Giving above that, sacrificial giving, that's where the real blessings are. When you and I learn to be generous. When our family got out of debt, it happened in November, and so December was really kind of the first time that we could do this, and we developed a a habit of getting $100 bills, and we fold them up like this. And I went to the bank, and I cashed a check for $2,000, and I got all these... $100 $100 bills, and I folded them up, and I told my family, I said, okay, here's the deal. I said, I want you to go to our Christmas Eve service tonight at church. I said, I want you to take this $100 bill. All of you take these $100 bills. They were all excited when they got them. They thought they were for them. I said, no, no. Once you go to church, once you find someone, just ask the Lord to lay on your heart. It might be someone you know, maybe a total stranger. Just say, God, lay it on her heart, who this is, and, and then just walk up to them and say, I'm so glad I found you. Somebody gave me this and told me to tell you Merry Christmas. Our whole family did that. And I said, then we'll come back after the Christmas Eve service and we'll tell our stories. We came back from uh, the Christmas Eve service and, and we were all sitting around the tree and we don't open our gifts until Christmas morning. And that night we started telling the stories and all of us were crying. Tell these incredible stories of people who were just overwhelmed and they didn't know how to respond. They didn't know what to say. All of them, listen, all of them said the same thing. All of them wanted to know who did this because they wanted to thank him. And we said, oh, we'll, we'll thank him for you. They didn't know it came from us. Uh, we've done that for years at our church. It's a great way to have people come up and wish you a Merry Christmas. In fact, we've had to be careful. I was telling Chuck, we had to kind of back off a couple of years ago because there were a number of people who would just kind of all, always be in the way, you know, where they could kind of see you, you know. We've got to learn to be generous. Uh, we, usually on, when I go speak and do ABC's weekends, I'll, I try to get home every Sunday night so I can have dinner with my family. They, they don't mind me being gone. As long as I'm back, we can all get together for dinner. And, and I tell them where I've been and, and tell them about the pastor and his family and the church and what happened. It's really great. And they tell me about their day. And, and uh, I can't do that tonight because even though I'm leaving here pretty soon, I don't get home until like 9 tonight. But that's okay. That's fine. But one night we flew in and we went to a restaurant called On the Border. It's a Mexican restaurant in uh, Dallas. And we were sitting there and, and my wife and two daughters were there and... and uh, we had, the lady had come and got our drinks and all that. And my daughter said, our, our waitress is a single mom. I said, how do you know that? They go, Dad. I go, no, really, how do you know that? Dad. I go, Janice, how do they know she's a single mom? Barry. Yeah, okay. okay, whatever, fine, whatever. We ordered our food. My, my wife wasn't very hungry, and one of my daughters uh, just got, I, I, I don't know, a taco or whatever. I got an enchilada and some refried beans and I remember our bill came to $23. And so we're getting ready to leave. And I said, hey, since our waitress is so obviously a single mom, would you, 
would you like to bless her? They go, yeah. I mean, everybody's got excited. And I said, well, how about we really bless her? They go, yeah. So you know those, those leather things they have where the bill's in there? I took $300 bills, and I put them in there with the bill. And she came to our table and said, ma'am, thank you very much. And, and, and we handed it to her. And she goes, is there anything else you need? No, it's been wonderful. And so we're putting on our coats. We're walking out. She couldn't have taken five steps. And she goes, sir, 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 you made a mistake. And, and I said, what? She goes, you, you made a mistake. She goes, I think you thought you put three $10 bills in here. You, you, you put $300 bills in here. And she tried to hand it back to me. I said, I said no, ma'am, that's no mistake. She, she goes, what, what do you mean that's no mistake? I said, well, that's for you. And she said, well, why? And I said, well, we want to bless you. And she said, well, why would you want to do that? And I said, well, because we're Christians. I didn't tell her I was a pastor. Didn't invite her to come to our church. Maybe I should have, but it's because we're Christians. She goes, can you all sit back down for a second? So we sit down with our coats on and dirty dishes, and she sits down with us, and she goes, see see that little boy over there? We go, yeah. She goes, "Um, has he bothered you tonight while you're eating? No, he hadn't bothered us. We did notice he knocked over the sugar dispenser and spilled a drink and some other stuff, but he didn't really bother us. (laughs) She goes, "That's that's my boy. She said, I'm, I'm a single mom. I said, oh, that's obvious. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. And she said, you know, I was getting ready to come to work today, and she said, my babysitter didn't show up. Didn't call, nothing, just didn't show up. And she said, I called my boss, and I said, uh, boss, listen, my babysitter didn't show up, and I don't know what to do. And he said, that is not my problem. And he said, you better work it out, and you better be or you're fired. And, and she said, I hung the phone up. And she goes, Y'all don't know me, but she said, I just started going back to church. And I, I said, God, what am I supposed to do now? I, I'm trying to do what's right, and now my babysitter doesn't show up. She says, you, you don't understand this, but if I don't work, I can't pay my bills. If I don't pay my bills, I can't live. She said, I don't know why, but I picked the phone back up, and my boss was still on the phone. And she said, I said to him, listen, would you, would you let me bring my little boy to work? And I'll just have him sit over the side, and, and, and I promise he won't bother anybody. And she said, the boss said, all right, but if he bothers anybody, you're fired and you're both gone forever. And she goes, so I came here and I've been working. She goes, I'm really close to my shift being over. And she goes, and now I come and you people give me this. What am I supposed to do with this? And God is my witness. This is what I said to her. Now, I remember reading it on the border. I said, well, use it and take your son to a nice restaurant to eat dinner. Now, I followed it real quick with, or buy him some shoes or some clothes or whatever. Well, she hugged us, and and we left, and and, uh, we were on our way home, and I remember my little daughter, Kelly, who's now a a sophomore at Dallas Baptist University. She was, I think, in the eighth or ninth grade, and, and I was driving the car, and she goes, Dad, can I ask you a question? She's in the back seat. I said, sure, honey, what? She goes, Dad, do you think we were the only Christians that ate there tonight? And the Holy Spirit settled in our car, just like he did here. I said, no, honey, I'm pretty sure we weren't the only Christians. No one said another word all the way home. But we all got the point. You see, God has placed us in this world to touch the lives of single women like that waitress to let them know there is a God who cares and there is a God who loves. And the way to anyone's heart is not through food, although that's pretty effective. (laughs) 
It's through generosity. People don't know how to respond to generosity. I mean, think about it. Jesus died on the cross. That's the greatest act of generosity this world will ever know, and the world still struggles with it. And that's why when they see Christian people who are generous for no reason whatsoever. I mean, I've been on airplanes where there have been servicemen, and I just hand them a $100 bill. They go, uh, uh, excuse me, sir, what's that for? I said, just to thank you for what you're doing for our country. Oh, no, I, I can't accept money. I said, no, yeah, yeah, you can. Thank you. <laughs> Walk away. I remember I was a Sonic getting a drink one day, and there was a little a cute Hispanic girl. That, it was Christmas time, and she came over to my car and brought my Diet Coke, and, and I gave her a $100 bill, and I was setting my Coke in the console of my car, and all of a sudden I hear this rattling on this change thing, and, and, I, and I turn and look at her, and she's shaking and quivering, and I said, man, is something wrong? She goes, ah, I can't make change for a $100 bill. I said, you don't have to make change. Merry Christmas. And she walked in front of my car and kept going, thank you. Thank you. Big old crocodile tears come down her face. I'll tell you one more quick story. I know I'm past time, but I'll tell you a quick story. Two years ago, it was around Christmas time, and the family had gone Christmas shopping, and I'd stayed home. We have, a, we have a little media room in our house. That's a big deal in Texas. They have these big screens, and, and I was watching football, and, and I decided I wanted to get some pizza. I just had a, in Texas, we call it a hankering for pizza. I had this hankering for pizza. And so I called my wife. I said, what's the number I called? She said, here it is. And she said, in the neighborhood, I never go get the pizza. So I ordered this little veggie lover's pizza. And, and the guy said, you know, it'd be, it's nine something. Be ready in 20 minutes. So I go over to the pizza hut thing. And when I walk in the, the door there, there's a lady behind the counter, just kind of like this. And I come walking in the door. And she just gives me a look like and walks away and disappears. I'm thinking, okay, whatever. Young guy comes out. He goes, can I help you, sir? I said, sure, I'm here to pick up a small veggie lover's pizza. He goes, yes, sir. Mr. Cameron? Yes, sir. He goes, that'll be $9.97. I said, okay. And I handed him a $100 bill and picked up the pizza, turned to walk in. He goes, sir, wait a minute. And I turned around and I said, Merry Christmas. He said, well, Merry Christmas to you and come again soon. <laughs> I said, I will. Well, I went home and I was there. And you know we've been going through kind of an economic problem here in America. I was sitting there in the media room, and I had the veggie lover's pizza and my Diet Coke and my chips and some cookies, and, and got to tell the truth, you're in church. And, and I'm sitting there, and I'm watching football, and all of a sudden, I started having this discussion with God. I don't know if you ever do that or not, but I just wanted to know. I said, God, God, is this blessing people stuff? Is that my deal or is that your deal? Is that just me? Is that just, I mean, I know it's been tough. Maybe I just need to be given to my own family. I need to stop doing that kind of stuff. And I totally forgot about it. That was on a Saturday night. I went to church Sunday, preached all three services, came home, never said a word to anybody. On Monday morning, I'm in my office getting some stuff going. No one's there. Pastoral staff's off on Monday. All of a sudden, there's a knock on the glass door outside the pastoral suite. And I'm thinking, what? who would be bothering me on Monday? Nobody knows I'm here. I go to the door. There's a security guard out there. He goes, uh, Pastor Cameron, I have the mail. Uh, would you like to have it? Now, I never get the mail. Other people go through that. All. I mean, most of my mail comes home. I go, uh, uh, why would you be giving me the mail? He goes, oh, I don't know. I just thought maybe you'd want it today. Okay, whatever. So I bring it back in there in my office, and I've, I've got my Subway sandwich. See, I got to make up for Saturday night. And my Diet Coke, and I'm, I'm sitting there eating, and here's this little stack of mail with a rubber band around it. 
And so while I'm eating this Subway sandwich, I start pulling me out there. There's a letter in there from the Kaimishi Mountain Clinic. Chuck probably knows, some of you may know where that is. I'm thinking, what in the world am I getting a letter from the Kaimishi Mountain Clinic? I open up the letter, and a check falls out for $1,000. going, what? Read this letter. Dear Pastor Cameron, it has come to our attention that you spoke at the Kaimishi Mountains Clinic six years ago, and that you received no remuneration for your flight, your hotel, your rental car, or anything, and we feel bad about that, and we hope that this check of $1,000 will more than satisfy those expenses, and we hope you'll come again. Sincerely, on behalf of Christ, Gary Lehman. And God said to me, it's my deal, not yours. See, these principles are not my principles. Now, I, there's a book here that I wrote, but the only, the only thing in that book that's worth anything comes right out of here. And all I want to tell you is if you will apply the principles of this book, your dreams can come true. But if you don't, they won't. So I want to close like this. I want to pray. I want to pray a prayer. And here's what I want to pray. And I'm, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I don't say stuff I don't mean. My wife always gets on me about that when I say something that maybe is not appropriate to her or one of the kids. She goes, you mean that? And I go, no, I was just joking around. She goes, no, I know you. You mean everything you say. And it's true. I mean this. I want to pray for every one of you in this room that God will bless you the way he's blessed my family. Fair enough? I mean, if it's okay with you, that, that as you apply his principles to your life, that God would bless you and your family the way he's blessed me and my family. Now, now, now listen, if, if, if you don't want those blessings, when I pray in just a moment, you tell God that for you, just send your blessings to 4209 Woodcrest Lane, Mansfield, Texas, because I'll take more, okay? And listen, our God has enough to go around. Second thing I want to pray, I want to pray that God will bless your church the same way he's blessed our church. That this church, before 2020, which is kind of a cool year, Acts 2020, vision, all that stuff, that this church can, before then, declare your financial freedom and never, ever again owe anybody anything except love. I want to pray that God will bless your church the same way he's blessed ours. And that the stories that come out of Crossroads West would eclipse every story we've ever been able to tell. So if it's okay with you, I want to pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege to be here this weekend. What a, what a blessing. God, I, I have learned so much and just been moved by so much of what I've seen and experienced here these last couple of days. I, I, I can't put it into words. God, the, the baptisms alone, if that doesn't get people... <laughs> I don't know what will. The volunteers, the incredible staff, the leaders, the, the people, the, the stories I heard in the parking lot of, of how you were working in people's lives and doing amazing things. Just, it's overwhelming. And I thank you for every bit of that. And God, I just want to pray as, we, as I close my part of being here this weekend, I want to pray for every person in this room, every single mom and single dad, every senior adult, every teenager, every couple, every family, young and old alike, that God, as they apply the principles of your life, your word to their life, not just the financial ones, but all of them, but especially the financial ones, God, I want to pray that you would bless them the way you blessed our family and the way you are blessing us today. 
God, that you would literally overwhelm them with your provision, that, that they could not explain why things are happening in their life. They just have to say, God's, God's blessing us because we're living in a place where he can bless us. And then, Father, I want to pray for this great church that's known all over the world, and, and, and you keep expanding their influence and their impact. God, I want to pray that you, as this church applies your principles financially and otherwise, that, God, you would literally rip open the floodgates of heaven and, and, and unleash a financial revival upon this congregation so they would literally run out of dreams before they ever run out of resources again. And God, we promise we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, let Barry know again how much we appreciate him. Yeah. Wow. As I was listening to Barry last night and today, a thought hit me, and it's this one. I want you to think about it. One decision can change everything. In 1999, he and his wife sat together and made one decision. They would no longer live in debt and would live according to the ways of God. No holding back. No being halfway, and it's changed everything in their life and their church, and it keeps rippling. One decision can change everything. Melody came here, and uh, there was a lot of hurt and pain. The decision to come and the decision to trust Christ, she set free. She walked out of here a new creation in Jesus Christ. The hurt's gone. She's got, you should see she's bubbling, and and it's just all erased. It was the worst thing imaginable. And God just touched her, but she made a decision to trust God. Today, today, if we make a decision to say, each one of us, no holding back. I'm going to live the way God wants me to live and be the person he wants me to be. Get ready for what God's about to do. That one decision, if you mean it, changes everything. And today there's some of you, you need to make a decision. A decision to give your life to Jesus Christ. Some of you need to do that. Now, now you may not know what that means, but here's what it means. The Lord tells us, look, give me your life and I'll give you the life I have for you. I want to pour it upon you. I want you to be loved. I want you to know courage. I want you to know peace. I want you to know joy. And it's not dictated by circumstance or anybody else's actions. I want that for you. And the Bible even tells us how to get it. Paul said these words, call on the name of the Lord, which means just pray to him. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And in a moment, I'm going to go to a time of prayer and I'm going to ask anyone here who wants to have the love of God, the life of God, and have God take you and draw you close to him so you truly know him. I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer where you say yes to God. And by the way, in a moment, I'm going to ask all the Christians in here, you just start praying for people to do that. You just start praying for it. And I'm going to hope and pray God stirs and touches some of you. And you say, I'm going to make a decision today to follow him. There are some of you who need to make a decision to come back. For some reason, you're not living wholeheartedly for God. You're not serving him. You're not knowing him. You're not having that fire that, that you should have. Maybe it's pain. Maybe it's disappointment. Maybe you've done something you shouldn't have done. God wants you back. And today, if you said, today's the day I'm going to make a decision to do that, it will all change. A whole life 
can become incredibly awesome and amazing and wonderful with one change, saying yes to God. So let's pray right now. I'm going to ask you, if you're a believer and you're walking with the Lord, pray for those who need to make this decision. Father, I pray right now your Holy Spirit would stir. Father, I pray you touch anyone here right now who needs to say yes to you or needs to come home to you. Lord, we mean it. We know you mean it. So I pray there's going to just be something going on. Maybe it's a feeling people are experiencing that this is the moment. Maybe it's a stirring inside. God, they're going to sense that right now. They're going to see it happening. All right, praise God. Wow. Praise the Lord. Praise God, you guys. I have your head right this way. Yeah, praise God for that. Praise the Lord. God stirred in her so much she couldn't stand it. She said she just had to come. Lord, I pray there's other people who just have to come. Lord, I pray if there's someone here who's hurting and they're, they're just got ache in their heart that today could be the day it's just released because they're going to come to you. God, I pray for anybody here who's just worried and they're so filled with fear about what's happening in their life. It's going to be gone. They're going to have peace. Father, I pray right now. I pray right now for for someone sitting here today and, and they just they, they need to be able to have the past put behind them and it's going to be gone because Lord Jesus you died to erase it so God I pray for that I pray for someone here who used to walk so close with you and they live so much for you and they want that back again and they're going to come so God I pray you're going to touch people Right now, if you sense God calling you, I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me. I'm going to ask you to whisper it. Just really whisper the words right where you're sitting. Say this. Say, Lord Jesus, if you want God's love, you want the life, say those words. Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me and cleanse me completely. To heal me from hurt and pain to make me yours and to give me life. And I say yes. I say yes. Praise God. How awesome. How awesome. Praise God for you and your decision today. Wow, praise the Lord.